Hi, and welcome to the Brewery FM podcast, hosted by Scott Hogue and Dan Usher. Just two techies separated at birth, with a giant ocean between us talking cloud, flamethrowers, and technology. I'm Dan Usher, reporting asynchronously from Northern Virginia. This is Episode 8, recorded on 25 March 2015. So it's come to this. Once again, yes, it has. I completely blame you, of course. Well, you know, I personally would blame you, but I think uh, Michael Buffer is by far the better guy that says, let's get ready to rumble. Uh, he's the only guy that says, let's get ready, to, get ready to rumble. But Bruce Buffer says, it's time. And Bruce Buffer announces for uh, the UFC, which is far better than boxing. MMA will beat boxing any day. I think it was also professional professional, professional wrestling. Like, I swear I saw Michael Buffer on, like, the WWC or WWE or WWF or whatever the, whatever it was, WW something. Yes, anyway. the, the, the World Wildlife Federation. Um, yeah, there, there's not too much that's professional about professional wrestling. Uh, I don't know. Radio Live had a pretty good episode the other day about it, so probably go check that out. Oh, hey, we're recording, aren't we? Um, so yeah, if you're if you're interested in uh, professional wrestling and how it's all staged, you can go listen to our Radio Lab episode from about a month ago, or you can hang out here with myself, Dan Usher, and my colleague Scott Hogue. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd prefer just to stick to like A and E and watch like a train wreck show on Jake the Snake or something. That works. So uh, what's going on, man? What you been up to? Ah, uh, you know, just. Uh... Working through life, doing doing those kind of things. Um, I've been trying to keep my head down on some client stuff here, and still in my documentation hell. So I th- I think I'm gonna uh, keep that going for a little while, and um, you know continue generating technical architectures and information architectures and design documents and uh, governance and all all those kind of. Um, documenty things that we have to do in our day-to-day jobs sometimes i i I don't have to do those man i'm a little jealous can i have your job oh maybe all right let's do it we'll switch (laughs) i don't know i'm pretty certain that uh i would get eaten by kangaroo my first week in australia and then yeah that wouldn't be good yeah yeah just hop on a plane come on out you know we'll 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 cross like ships in the night over the atlantic or no the pacific um, and that way, you know, when, when we hop the dateline and you lose two days and I get a day back, you know, we'll just call it even. Sounds fair to somebody. Um, nice. Yeah, so I guess uh, for myself, I'm about to no good. Um, did a little bit of a presentation last week with uh, friends over at FedSpug. Um, yeah, it's, that's pretty much it. It's been heads down, doing some more azure things and... Uh, trying to enjoy this beautiful, balmy weather here in the D.C. area. I mean, it got up to like 42 today. It's amazing. That's uh, <clears throat> 42 Fahrenheit, by the way, not 42 Celsius. So, Ooh, that's kind of nice. You know, I think we're still hanging around in the 70s or so Fahrenheit. So we're, we're doing pretty good out here. I uh, haven't seen snow and really don't intend to. Oh, you'll see it. <clears throat> It'll come back with a vengeance. You'll have... Uh, Snowzilla or something like that, where wave after wave of snow will hit Jacksonville, Florida, and you'll freak out. 
Now, it wouldn't be the first time it snowed down there, but um, you know, it would certainly throw some people for a loop. Probably. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if you, for some reason, listener, um, feel like you're getting thrown for a loop, feel free to send us some feedback at info at brewery FM. That's at brewery.fm. So, um, also we'll go ahead and, uh, have our gratuitous little, uh, you know, bit of information sharing. Um, if you've got feedback for us, please, please, please give it to us on iTunes. We'd love to get your ratings. We'd love to get, uh, a little bit more publicity out there for the show, um, as well as, you know, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, stalk us in real life. Okay, you don't have to do that part, really. That, that would just kind of be awkward. So, um, miss anything else, Scott? No, no, I think that's about it. I, I know how you appreciate your fans. I mean, you are one of the best country singers ever, so. True. Really? Now, now that's the moment you're going to take to choose to have a sip of your Coke? Yep. And crunch your ice. Wow, you're going to turn some people off from this one. I know, I know. But first, let's go ahead and hop into some follow-up. Um, so this past week, right after we recorded, uh, or actually it might have been right before we recorded, uh, was one of those things where it was though the Windows server team and the Windows desktop team were listening as a blog post on Windows 10 IoT powering the Internet of Things came out. So it was really interesting to kind of see uh, where Microsoft is going with uh, IoT and Windows 10, uh, from embedded devices to mobile devices to cameras, watches, swatches. Swatches are pretty nice. Um, and many other different things, you know, Microsoft is looking to see how they can uh, get in on kind of that Windows 10 piece with IoT. And if you got a minute, uh, check out the show notes. They're pub.brewery.fm slash brewery008 for this episode. And a link to that will be there for the Windows 10 IoT. I, I don't know about you, but I'm <clears throat> kind of hesitant to see IoT uh, coming to life on, I don't know, uh, my headphones. That'd be just kind of weird if they knew where they were, if they were self-aware, um, full-up operating system. Yeah, I, I think some of this stuff is really interesting, right? So you've got um, these kind of server components that that you're talking about. So let's go ahead and deploy Windows 10 onto devices. So, so that's great for device sales and things like that. The side that I really see it taking off is on the um, consumption and then the, the massaging of that data, right? So from Microsoft side of things, they have um, very similar to Amazon, they have some very specific services built into uh, the Azure platform for um, aggregating and uh, being able to uh, analyze and, and look at the data around all these devices in different ways, right? So I think it's one thing to have the devices out there. I think the, the, the real meat of it all is going to be how do we analyze the data and what do we do with it later? So it's nice to know that your headphones will be connected to the internet, um, but there's probably some really cool things that you can do um, with micromanaging your, your house and your home around um, power consumption, or really what do we do when we start to get to this point where, um, you know, every single one of my uh, PowerPoints is internet connected. So, oh gee, did I leave the iron on at home? Let me just go ahead and flip that switch off from my phone or whatever else I'm connected to to get there. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's where the fun is really going to be, is uh, not only automating uh, kind of the world around us and, and letting it kind of live and grow and breathe as it does, um, but also being able to improve it. 
and 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 make it a better place for uh, all of us as we go through our lives and do all that fun stuff. You know, it, uh, that kind of reminds me of an episode from The Big Bang Theory. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched that show, but there's an episode where Sheldon and the gang, uh, you know, they've set up a, uh, I think it's like a remote control car that they've got set up to be controllable from other parts of the world. Uh, I don't know, just, you know, kind of interesting in the same token or the same vein that, uh, you know, as we start to see more and more of these things that are inaccessible, security is going to become a bigger and bigger thing where folks are hijacking things inside of our house and using them against us. So beware of that toaster that uh, Cards Against Humanity might send you. Ah, uh, yes, the, the toaster fridge is coming. Give it enough time and it'll be here. Well, it might be there before you leave, maybe. I don't know if you'll be able to get that in your carry-on. <laughs> I can always try. I mean, what's, what's the worst they can do? Make me get rid of it at the airport? Yeah, I'd kind of be sad. Oh, well, you know, baggage is overweight. I'll just leave the fridge there. Someday I'll pick it up. So a couple other things going on. Bunch of different conferences going on in the area. Uh, Reston Spug, Danny Jesse's joining us. Uh, statistically speaking, he should be showing up. I was going to say, you're going to have that this month, huh? So have you given out all of your uh, user group tickets and all that stuff that was given to you for the user group? Or should people still be coming out to the user group when Danny's there to see if they can win a free pass? So that's a good question. Uh, we have given away two passes and we will be giving away two more passes when Danny's there. And actually for once uh, the Microsoft center that hosts us screwed up and it works out for the folks that attend. So. We were supposed to actually have it the week after uh, the SP Fest, but instead we're going to have it the week before, just due to some scheduling snafu that occurred. So there's still a chance to win one of two tickets to that show. Mm. Well, people should come out then, I'm barring two feet of snow and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Um, and then the Azure Global Boot Camp is going on April 25th. Um, honestly, I don't know if there's going to be one here. Uh, we are trying to work something out with uh, some of the folks that own those two lovely hosting centers that usually help us out for SharePoint Saturday, but uh, we may or may not be able to have one <coughs> on-premises, so to speak. Um, so we're still working that out. I, I think you guys are hosting one, though, somewhere down there, down under? Uh, so yes, they'll, they'll have four of them here. So, uh, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, and Perth will be covered. Uh, I'm not sure if Adelaide is going to go off this year. Uh, it doesn't look like it from the, the current map, but I'll be heading out to Sydney's. Uh, I participated in that last year, had a great time. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to do one of these, um, but you get to learn a lot about Azure and uh, usually contribute back to some uh, wider community in, in some form or another. So uh, last year we were spinning up um, cloud services and uh, web and worker roles to actually um, 
uh, use some CPU cycles uh, and compute some data to help out with, I believe it was cancer research um, or, or something along those lines. So, um, you know, it's not just about learning the technology. It's they, they usually try and gear whatever the sessions are going towards or whatever the technologies that you're trying to learn. They try and put those together in such a way that uh, you can actually give back to something a little bit wider than just, you know, hey, I learned Azure this weekend. Oh, so they they are actually teaching Azure. It's not just something else or... Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, uh, you, you know, it's, it's a focus on the Azure platform um, with some real world application, right? So if we're going to deploy a website, uh, a website is going to do these things. Um, so they try and give you, uh, like last year, uh, they handed out um, all the configuration packages for some uh, web and worker roles to do some number crunching. So really you got to learn about kind of that um, PaaS-ish side of Azure. Uh, with those uh, with those particular machine types and what they do, and along the way you got to learn about all the other things that came with it. So sub- subscriptions and vnets, and um, you know very quickly you got to learn about uh, uh, subscription limits. You know it was it was funny when it went off last year, and it, the challenge was mostly based on uh, compute. So there were some of us out there that already had a couple hundred cores in our subscriptions. And then there were other folks who were signing up day one. You know, they have their new trial subscription and they get 20 cores. So uh, lots of service requests going out that day to say, hey, uh, can I just have some, have some more of these? Go ahead and provision them up. Um, it'll also be really nice to have it go off uh, this year in Australia uh, because they do have the data centers locally now. Uh, so there's certainly, uh, I think, a little bit of... Um, kind of pride on the Microsoft side and, and also by the uh, volunteers who helped put this together to go ahead and stand everything up and say, um, hey, you can learn about it and it's local and all the other nice things that come along with that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's sweet that you guys actually have the data center there local now so that it's not uh, having to go across an ocean. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you all and I'm hoping that we're going to be able to pull one off here in the DC metro area, but uh, we shall see. So you'll get there. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so we also got a, we got a piece of feedback that said, Hey, Dan and Scott, why is it you guys are so awesome? And I just said, you know, I don't know. I don't, we're trying to be humble. We're good guys. Thank you for your, your kind words. I always thought it was the witty t-shirts. You know, it, it probably is. It really probably is. Um, then they, they kind of pose the secondary question of, so why aren't you guys on Stitcher Radio? And I said, well, let me check into that. And I was trying to remember why it was we had not gone with Stitcher in the first place. Um, what, what are your thoughts on Stitcher and, you know, should we go that route? Uh, Stitcher is a weird platform, uh, uh, you know, mostly around some of the terms and conditions they oppose, impose on uh, producers of anything really. Um, so basically you sign away some rights to the things you produce. Um, so Stitcher is owned by this other company called Deezer. Um, you, you know, so you sign away a bunch of rights to Deezer. Um, they get the ability to do some, um, you know, you know, I, I would call them, uh, 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 like unscrupulous kind of things. Like, uh, they can insert, um, ads into a stream real time, Um, you know, just because you're using their platform and other things. So I think for us and the audience that we have, 
uh, you know, I'm perfectly comfortable saying, um, you know, Stitcher is not for us. It's not the way to go. Um, and, and just leave it at that. We have RSS, um, that everything's published through, uh, we publish through iTunes, um, and, uh, you know, people can just hit the RSS feed if they want, they can hit the iTunes feed, uh, and go ahead and consume everything that way. Stitcher, yeah, it just brings along some other, uh, you, you know, TNC legalese stuff that, uh, you know, I, I don't want to have to wrap my head around right now. Yeah, and um, I, kinda, <clears throat> I guess I'm in the same boat. I was looking at that uh, just now, a little bit of real-time stuff, and kind of unnerving to see some of the text they've got there. So maybe someday if they change their TNC, but uh, I think for the time being, yeah, like you mentioned, we've got many different ways for folks to find us, get to us, and whatnot. So there it is. But until then, uh, I think, you know, I'm probably going to move to Salt Lake City, so that's that's just me. <laughs> is that just because you want some new Google Fiber and you can't get that any place else in the country? Well, you can get it a couple places, but apparently in this case, uh, Google does not have um, any sort of uh, dark fiber to actually work on. So this will be a brand new, fresh uh, implementation we'll be deploying out there apparently. So I don't know. I think it's pretty sweet. Oh, see, I'd want to go someplace where they've already got it. You know, when you move in, you know, it's kind of like uh, you, you do the same thing when you pick apartments or places to live, right? I you, you want to find some place that has FIOS, um, you, you know, the real FIOS, not the DSL FIOS, and, you know, have that sweet, sweet uh, fiber uh, to your home connection coming straight in. So why wait for them to build it out in Kansas City when you are or, or in Salt Lake City? Can't you move to Kansas City or something like that? Yeah, I, I suppose I could. Um, I bet they have FIOS there as well. Yeah, you'll get there eventually. Um, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't matter whatever you do, just, uh, you know, just make sure that you've got a good solid connection, um, for all your, your VDI and all the other stuff you're playing with at the house. Well, yeah, let's, uh, <clears throat> yeah, too many toys. Oh my gosh. But, ah, oh, man. Um, so in other news, I think, I think that actually was all we have for follow up. We accomplished that in a record 26 minutes. So actually 18 holy smokes wow i can't <laughs> here recording a different podcast yeah apparently um <laughs> but uh so i guess kind of moving on um what uh what have you been up to reading wise are you still doing any of the comiXology stuff or are you done with comics on ipad no i use my ipad pretty religiously for comics so uh i keep up with um the walking dead uh, I've got a bunch of, uh, fables still to catch up on, uh, and then I'm working my way through, uh, some of the newer slash, uh, older, um, uh, Marvel kind of stuff that's out there. So, uh, started way back with, uh, the Infinity Gauntlet, um, working my way up through like the whole, uh, Annihilation series and Annihilation War. I'm going to go back and do Civil War and, and some other things uh, along the way and, and see what I can filter out in there. I, I know you like The Walking Dead. I don't know if you keep up with anything else. I mean, there's a bunch of uh, just, just great comics out there, uh, and some of them by indies and some other things. Uh, you know, one of the other great like indie ones to do uh, is uh, called Saga. Um, uh, just this uh, great uh, world where... Um, 
a decapitated ghost is a uh, babysitter, you know. Um, I, I would leave it at that and encourage anyone to go read it. That sounds lovely. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Huh. No, I've been, uh, I guess I stopped reading Walking Dead around uh, Comic Book 100, so I'm probably about 40 issues behind now. Um, but uh, outside of that, went through the Civil War saga on Marvel. Um, so that's, if you read through Civil War, um, you'll get a pretty good understanding of where they're going with all the different uh, Marvel movies that you're seeing out right now in the movie theaters. It seems to follow Civil War loosely. Um, but then outside of that, uh, I've been catching up on the original Guardians of the Galaxy comics. So call me crazy, but there's just something about a walking tree that just, you know, pulls me in. Yeah, so so there's not too much in that original series stuff. But if you go through the whole Annihilation War thing and that whole saga, so you'll get Nova and all your Guardians and Groot and, and all those things that you're looking for. Um, but then you also get uh, the Annihilation Wave and Annihilus and, and all the fun stuff that, that comes with that. So um, I'd, I'd highly encourage you to go check that side of things out. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a little newer uh, and it's, it's just a great storyline. Cool. I'll have to, have to check that out. But hmm. um, any other random news you've come across this past week? Uh, let's see. Fun stuff, fun stuff. Uh, you know, we, we talked about, uh, space a little bit, uh, and some of the like SpaceX launches and things like that. Um, I don't know about you. I'm always on the lookout for new desktop backgrounds and, uh, things along those lines. So, um, NASA has started publishing, uh, all of its images without copyright restrictions. Um, and then SpaceX was pub publishing all their stuff to Flickr under creative commons, uh, someone reached out to Elon Musk on Twitter and said, hey, why is this a Creative Commons? Why can't it just you know, be without any restrictions? And he wrote back and said, yeah, you know, uh, there really is no reason that it needs to be a Creative Commons, so we'll follow NASA and open everything up. Um, so there's just been this slew of images out on Flickr and, and kind of the, the wider interwebs um, that just make for these really great you know, high-resolution backgrounds for everybody that's walking around with their uh, 6K desktop displays. Huh. Okay. Wow. That's yeah. I'm just a uh, <clears throat> real time follow up for you. Uh, I think Andrew Connell and Chris Johnson, if they haven't seen this, are going to go nuts when they see it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's excellent, excellent stuff. I'm a, a huge fan of, um, you know, a lot of like the Hubble pictures and things that come out. So it's great to have all that stuff come out from the NASA side. And then SpaceX is doing all these awesome rocket launches and everything else. And they've got some uh, some, some great photographers capturing that form as well. So there, there's a ton of, uh, just really great stuff to go out and grab. Crazy, man. I'll have to, I'll have to grab these and drop them into my uh, desktop folder. Very cool. Yep. Go, go ahead and throw them over in the Dropbox or one. I'm, I'm sorry. You're probably a OneDrive user, but we, we, we can forgive you. Well, you know, I've been thinking about trying out box, but we'll see. <laughs> Nobody uses that. Well, maybe. But very cool, man. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, I guess the couple of things that have kind of popped up, at least in my news feed, um, I don't know if you saw this, but I thought it was somewhat hilarious to see. And mind you, I've been reading more and more of the British posts and things in the UK recently. 
but Americans apparently have this thing that's available in 48 of the 50 states called the XM42. Um, it's a commercially available handheld flamethrower. Uh, you know, it costs a whopping $700. Apparently the two states that say no, it's not Hawaii and Alaska. It's actually California and Maryland. So there's a cute video out there out on YouTube for the XM42. I personally, the only reason I could ever see buying one of these would be if I had to deal with the spiders you deal with down in Australia. But fortunately I don't, so I don't have a purpose to actually get one of these things to torch the house. But you know, it's, that's just me. Yeah, I like uh, one of the suggestions was eliminating weeds between pavement cracks. Um, it, you know, that, that'd be great. I know a lot of the footpaths around here could use something like that. So maybe they'll ship to Australia someday because everybody loves to see 25 foot streams of burning petrol just coming off a human being. Well, you know, I mean, if that's what, uh, if that's what floats your boat or keeps it afloat or yeah, I don't know. Um, so we've got personal flamethrowers, pretty darn cool. I'll take two. Okay. I guess the kids need them, right? Um, in another lovely post that I found a couple days ago, um, apparently Boeing is going to start looking at putting together a force field like device. Uh, personally, I don't know if this is just hogwash or them, you know, putting a patent out there just to kind of, for less of a better term, patent troll, but it just kind of seems outlandish that someone thinks they've got technology that could do this, um, let alone just throw the idea out there of patenting it, because I'm certain what's going to end up happening is some you know researcher at some small school is going to figure out how to actually build one of these things, start developing it, and then find out, you know, just as they're about to go to market after they go on Kickstarter, that Boeing owns some patent for it, and they're going to have to give it up. But, uh, you know, it, it could happen. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at this point, everything's patented anyway, right? So, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> patents do not always make for real-world products um, from, from anybody, Boeing or, you know, Microsoft or Apple or... Anybody else, all these companies are always filing patents. Not that I wouldn't like to have my own personal force field. Um, I, I'm just, I, I don't know that I'd be too hopeful it's going to pop up on Kickstarter anytime soon. Um, you know, especially when everybody is too busy buying watches and things like that. Yeah, no, and, you know, maybe watches will have the ability to, you know, work by heating a selected region of fluid medium rapidly to create a second transient medium that intersects the shockwaves and attenuates its energy density before it reaches a protected asset, such as the Apple Watch. So, Easiest patent ever. Boom. Boeing and Apple working together again. <clears throat> for the first time. First but, time for the last time. Yeah. Um, probably what Australia could have used, though, many, many years ago, was a force field that would have actually protected the entirety of the content, <coughs> continent. So... Uh, I don't know if you read up on the history of Australia before you moved there, but apparently there are findings that are showing central Australia. There's a reason it's called the Outback. It's because there was a mega, mega asteroid crater that was discovered um, where they're thinking that about 300 million years ago, there was a huge asteroid that hit. So um, if you were curious why that land is barren still, um, twin asteroid, 300 million years ago. Yep. <laughs> That explains it all, but it doesn't explain the big red rock, you know, 
you know, I, th- I think once they can explain Uluru, they'll have it all nailed down. Uh, so <clears throat> for our listeners, Scott, and for me, what is Uluru? Uluru is the big red rock. So you see all those pictures of Australia and, you know, they say, go to the outback and go and, you know, everybody's standing in front of um, uh, almost cylindrical looking structure, just kind of standing out in the desert. Um, so that's at, um, uh, like, uh, so you can fly out to, uh, Ayers Rock, uh, or Uluru, uh, and you can see the, the, the big red rock. So, uh, some of my coworkers went out and did that. Uh, apparently the flies are really big out there. So one of the things, you know, you, you mentioned doing some research on Australia. We, we didn't do any research on Australia before we moved here. Um, but one of the things we've learned over time is there's this thing called the Australian salute. So they have a lot of flies in Australia, uh, and uh, they they tend to be just huge, um, kind of like all the other bugs. And they'll land on you and like hang out on your back and just generally being annoying. So you spend a lot of time waving your hand in front of your face. Uh, so I've been told by some of the other um, locals that, <laughs> you know, that's it. That's the Australian salute. Go ahead and, and live with it. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think I remember you telling me about that, but for our listeners, that's... Uh, Something that hopefully they can adopt and, you know, incorporate it into their daily workflow with their friends. And they, too, can act like they're Australian or they can just go to Outback because Outback is just like Australia. Absolutely. Yeah. Just flail your arms when you walk in and say, how you going? And you'll, you'll, you'll have it down pat. That's what I'm going to do. So a couple other things more on the techie side that kind of came across the wire for me. Um, one of our other listeners, this is Johnny, uh, tweeted us something for paper space IO, uh, which is a fully functional hockey puck. Um, okay. So it's not a hockey puck. It's about the size of a hockey puck and it provides for kind of a virtual desktop infrastructure. So basically you plug in a keyboard, a mouse, a monitor, you plug in an ethernet cable, and voila, you have a desktop hosted for you out of said cloud. Uh, I think these have been around for a while. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but their uh, their solution looked pretty spiffy. I've been tempted to order one and try it out, but not having true FIOS because the building I live in decided they didn't want to upgrade from copper to actually having ONTs with fiber, not better. Um, I just don't think my bandwidth can actually handle it. Yeah, so I, I think that is, uh, it, it, it's uh, kind of like you said, like a paperweight device, but would actually, uh, you know, it would be um, quite literally a paperweight because it doesn't actually ship until September 2015. Details, details. So you've got a, you, you've got a bit of time. You know, if you wanted to do that today, you could go out and just uh, buy your minimum 20 remote app licenses for Azure um, and do that or, or spin up a uh, an Amazon Workspaces instance, right? And do all your, all your fun um, desktop in the cloud things out there. Because that's what I do in my free time, bud. <laughs> well, I mean, if you've got enough free time to mess around with paper space paperweights, then I think we can find some time to do some other fun, more real-world applicable things with you. But what if I want to go look at uh, Google Analytics, read information from Amazon Web Services, Scott? Totally easy, Dan. Really? How do I do that? 
the, the U.S. government has started, uh, the federal government has started to uh, open source a lot more of their data. So they have a, a new site up at analytics.usa.gov. Um, it's built on top of a couple of things. It's built on top of Google Analytics and Amazon's uh, S3 uh, simple storage service. Uh, so it's providing real-time data uh, from uh, pretty much all the websites that it tracks within the U.S. federal government. Um, so you know you, you can go on there and hop on and take a look, and it, it gives you some really interesting metrics, right? So I, I'm looking at it right now. So there's you know 86,000 people um, on government web websites right now. It actually gives you um, breakdowns and kind of heat maps across time for when people are accessing these things, how many visits they get, um, and, you know, top pages and, and all these other things. So it's, it's always nice to see, um, public data become a, a little bit more open and out there. Uh, and then they actually allow you to download all these statistics. So if you wanted to do, um, your own charts or massaging and, and get things to where you need them to be, um, you can also download data from that site. So, um, it, it, you know, stuff like that's re really cool and, and uh, fun to see when the, when the government's using more up-to-date technologies and, and putting things out there uh, to kind of show, hey, uh, we can be cool too. Yeah, no, it's uh, definitely an interesting website. Uh, 85,000 people on government websites right now. What's <clears throat> kind of interesting as well, like you mentioned, kind of the statistical mashup, the heat map. Should I be disturbed that there's more people accessing the sites the government has out there on iOS than on OSX? <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's a prol proliferation of devices, right? There's, there's what, there's 20 some odd million OSX devices out there and there's 700 million iOS devices. So just based on, um, you know, law of averages and things, we can assume that there's probably going to be uh, more of those, uh, more of those kind of folks out there. Um, you, you know, the nice thing is, uh, I, at least from what they've said about releasing this data, is that they want to actually use this to target and drive where they go in the future. So they can use statistics like that to say, uh, we we really need to do uh, more around maybe mobile or responsive design and letting users on those other platforms in versus saying, um, you know, let's go file your taxes with the IRS and you have to be running um, Internet Explorer 6 on Windows XP uh, pre-Service Pack 3, you, you know, because, hey, we're the government and we're slow and we're old. Um, so, you know, this is the new government where we can move a little bit faster. We can be a little bit more agile, um, at least in a couple of spaces. Everything's always about being agile. I mean... Yeah, well, I hope I hope that uh, S3, since that's where the data is stored for this thing, uh, I really hope that they're not crushing SSDs by doing this. Um, if they are, well, then they might have some statistics that can actually take on the good old tech report <clears throat> and their SSD endurance test they ran. Um, I don't know about you. Did did you actually read this article before we started recording? No, I don't read any of this stuff before we start recording. Awesome. You're just... Let me click on it right now and read it real time. You are just like John Syracuse. I love it. Um, no, so it was interesting to find this article and read through how they went and tested these six different models of SSDs to kind of figure out how long they would actually last. 
Um, <clears throat> for those of you that don't know, uh, SSDs are those lovely solid state devices. Uh, yes, SSD, so hopefully most folks know that by now. Um, but it was just uh, kind of one of those interesting things where they took these devices and they wrote and they read and they read and they wrote. And after a while, they eventually got through, like, uh, actually, quote-unquote, wearing out the cells. So um, they've got different types of cells that make up these different uh, pieces, of uh, pieces of hardware. Um, so you'll see MLC and SLC. <clears throat> and basically, the majority of uh, SSDs that are out there use what's known as a, a multi-level um, uh, cell, I believe that's what it stands for. Um, but basically it can write to it multiple times over time that wears out though, very much similar to like an old hard drive, a spindle hard drive. Um, you could flip a bit magnetically and after a while you just have bits that either got stuck in like a partial domain or stopped responding to the little magnet, um, on the arm of the hard drive. Uh, in the same way, you'll have these cells that store information, bits, ones and zeros, all of your pictures of cats, um, eventually just freeze or stop responding. Um, so the tech report they went through, they took six different drives and they basically ran them until they died. So in the case of a couple of them, uh, you know, it, I don't even know where you'd find this data or how you would do this, but it was interesting to see that they're able to write, you know, 200 terabytes of information to a single cell to see when it would actually break. Um, you got me. Uh, eventually, they do start to wear out. Apparently, uh, you know, from a casualty perspective, um, which was it? The Corsair apparently lasted the longest. So... Who knew? Yeah, you gotta love those those Samsungs, right? The, those eight forties and everything. You, you know, a lot of that stuff is dependent on uh, the the firmware on those devices. So, you know, how good is the firmware, and and does that actually handle the reads and writes and the, the way it's supposed to? Um, and also the operating system to a certain degree. Um, you know, I, I know it's something that people run into uh, quite a bit with uh, OS X. So if you go and swap out, um, you know, in my case, like I have a MacBook Pro, where I've swapped out all the spinny disks, and I've even taken um, uh, what, what was what was that thing called? Uh, the disk drive, the CD drive out, and I've put a different carriage in there and dual SSD'd it. Um, so OS X doesn't have native trim support for you know these third-party OSD or SSDs. So you end up kind of hacking them together and things to hopefully make them work uh, a, a little bit longer. But it, it, you know that just goes on to prove that a lot of that stuff is highly dependent on the manufacturer and, and um, kind of the effort that they're putting in the front to make sure that these things can last on the back. Um, hard drives are still this ever-growing space, right? I, I know uh, maybe a month or so ago they had the report that came out around um, kind of lifespans of, uh, you know, like those uh, portable uh, USB drives that everybody buys. So, you know, go to uh, your favorite electronics retailer and buy a one terabyte or two terabyte USD, USB drive. Um, and they found that anything that ended on like a half terabyte incremental was dying significantly faster. So if you bought one terabyte, you were safe. If you bought two terabytes, you were safe. If you bought one and a half terabytes, you were pretty much guaranteed that like the drive was going to be dead in a year and you'd have to uh, RMA it and, and go refurb after that. So 
um, there, there, yeah, there's just all sorts of strange stuff out there like that. So the, the, the lesson learned would be, um, you know, if it can die, it will die. So have good backups and actually, you know, practice doing restores and things like that, um, especially if you are on SSDs, because they do go the way of the dodo um, probably far more often than they should. But yeah, I think that's just the technology and the way they, they kind of carry on. Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess <clears throat> from my perspective, uh, definitely makes you wonder about some of these things that... <clears throat> You know, once they start seeing failures, do they just completely die, or is it one of those things where uh, just over time? And it looks like, based on this report that they went out and did with this uh, testing, that things like the Samsung 840 series, which is a pretty darn nice hard drive, uh, once you know, kind of started having errors, um, it would just you know, progressively in a linear fashion, uh, have more and more errors with sectors just not being able to be written to, whereas drives like the Corsair Neutron, uh, GTX, once that thing hit errors, it was just kind of like, well, it, it's going to be dead here in a petabyte or, you know, another terabyte of data. So uh, good information for those of you that run data centers, which I'm guessing that's probably four of you. Um, <clears throat> maybe data centers, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, for the rest of us, just an interesting kind of look into how hard drives work. So got to debunk these things, Scott, got to debunk these things. Yeah. I'll leave it to Microsoft and Amazon and Google and all those folks to figure it out and just continue to buy services from them. It's far easier. Yeah. Uh, I'll take you up on that too. Um, speaking of debunking things, I should have mentioned this earlier. Uh, you remember Adam Levithan? I do remember Adam. Yeah, he works for Metalogix these days. Yeah, so he he departed, uh, you know, hanging out with Jill and the folks over at Portal Solutions um, and took on this new opportunity with Metalogix, uh, I think working with Replicator. But um, if you're interested, there's a webinar that uh, Adam and I did last week that, uh, you know, it's about 45 minutes long, talks through a lot of the different things that you run into when you're trying to plan for migrations or, you know, running SharePoint in a hybrid environment. So you should check it out if you get a moment. <laughs> People actually run SharePoint in hybrids? Well, we kind of go into that and, you know, what that actually means. So it's not necessarily the uh, Bill Bear hybrid. It's more the hybrid that you and I see regularly. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm I'm going out. I'm actually giving a talk at the Office 365 user group here uh, tonight about Office 365 and hybrid SPO. And I think I'm just going to get to that slide with here's what it does. And I'm just going to drop the mic and walk away. You know, it's going to be like a two and a half minute talk because, <laughs> you know, SharePoint hybrid can be uh, a, a little bit of a letdown once you get into it. Yeah, no, I hear you, man. It's... It is what it is, but hopefully someday it will be the end-all be-all. Yeah, there's always V-next. There, there always is V-next. So, the next thing. Uh, stepping into some more of our technical news. Um, cute little thing came out called the OneNote Clipper 2.0 this week. Uh, actually, I guess it was about two weeks ago. But if you are curious, it is probably the best thing since sliced bread when it comes to OneNote clipping. Um, so notice I'm not saying that it's better than Snagit, but it does a pretty good job. And the fact that OneNote actually does the automatic OCR of images to pull text 
it's pretty handy. So if you haven't, if you, if you have not checked it out, you can find it in, I believe it's published on the Google Chrome store. If not, you just go over to OneNote.com. Boom, you can grab it right there and install it in your favorite browser. Works mm. pretty handy. Try it yeah. out, man. Yeah, you'd have to be using OneNote to make this work. So yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I, I love my little Evernote clipper. So I, I mean, I guess if folks want to use OneNote and you know be the ridicule of all their friends, so be it. Ah, oh, fighting words, fighting words. So you're telling me what uh, Evernote actually has a similar service offering? Yep, Evernote has a clipper, and Evernote also does OCR. So um, been doing it for quite a while. Always a bridesmaid, Scott. It's just, it's not fair. Yeah, yeah. Someday you'll catch those flowers, but uh, they'll they'll probably knock you in your head first. That's eh, true. Hey, did you um were were you around for the Azure announcement today? Some of the new stuff that came out that, that uh, uh, Mr. Guthrie got up on stage in his red shirt and uh, shared with the world. Uh, sort of. So I know we mentioned it last week about how they were going to have this event this morning. Um, I was on the platform and have been on the platform the better part of the day doing some configuration and been fairly frustrated by its performance today, but I'm guessing that's because of all the awesomeness that they announced this morning. So you want to, you want to kind of mention more as to what's going on? Uh, yeah. So, so there's some interesting movement in the, uh, Azure website space. So I actually haven't had time to consume everything in here myself. Um, but, but basically, well, I, I know, you know, day job and all that. Um, but what they've done is they've said that the Azure websites offering, which was a bunch of things in and of itself before, right? So um, scalable IIS and kind of host whatever you want on top of it, whether that was .NET, Java, PHP, uh, you know, we, we really don't care. Um, and then it also had some other things built into it on the side. So there was web jobs and scheduling and auto scaling and a bunch of really neat things that came along with that. So that was all part of websites. So they said, all right, uh, we don't want to call that websites anymore. Uh, we want to call that web apps because we really want to get uh, developers and consumers who are using this platform into this app mindset, right? Everything's an app. Let's go ahead and, and, and make websites web apps. So they've gone ahead and done that in the new portal, and that's all off and running. Um, when we often think of apps, we often think of, uh, you know, all of our mobile devices and everything running around. So um, there was actually a whole um, mobile service uh, built into um, Azure. So that had um, a lot of the same things that websites had. So that was all the Azure mobile services stuff. So that had um, auto scale and traffic manager and uh, continuous integration and VNets and stage deployments, and it also had web job support. So it was doing a lot of the same things. Um, so now that's been rolled over, um, and that's combined into this new Azure app service. So now we've got web apps and mobile apps, and they sit right next to each other, and they do all the same things. Um, one of the nice things is by consolidating these two services into this one overbearing Azure app service, uh, you're not paying for two services anymore. So now as you want to scale maybe uh, something that you had on the mobile side, maybe you had an API or something that was out there, like a .NET Web API, you can scale that uh, inside of the same service that actually hosts your website and does uh, a bunch of other things. So to also help bring some of that stuff along, they said, okay, we, we, we've got apps, and so now we can host apps and we can host 
the back end for them. Uh, but how do we access those back ends and what goes into all those different pieces? So now they have these, um, uh, they call them API apps. Um, so they're basically a bunch of connectors that tie into this new app service and they offer connectivity between your web app and your mobile backend and then a bunch of external systems. So they have a ton of connectors published on day one. So there's things like uh, Box, you know, maybe you could go try that out because it seems to be your thing to do. Um, but you could also connect to um, some other enterprise systems, some of the SaaS offerings. So you can connect to Office 365, uh, you can connect to Salesforce and SAP, you can connect to the consumer side of um, some of Microsoft offerings. Um, so you can do um, Box, Dropbox, you can do um, OneDrive, like OneDrive consumer. Uh, there's connectors for Oracle, for SharePoint, um, and then there's a bunch of connectors for uh, internal Azure kind of stuff. So uh, if you want to run web jobs, there's still connectors for that. Uh, there's connectors for the schedulers and um, things like Twilio, like if you want to send SMS messages. Uh, really, they're across the board and they do a bunch of stuff. And then they also said, okay, once we've got all these other API connectors, um, one of the other things that they have out there is the BizTalk offering. So they made a bunch of connectors for BizTalk, which lets people start to do some of the um, more robust kind of transactional processing. So you can do um, a bunch of different things around like batching and debatching, um, doing like data extracts and transforms and all the stuff that you might do um, with services like built on the BizTalk side. So that's all built in there. And so now we've got these three building blocks and boom, Azure App Service and you're all ready to go. And, you know, I think they kind of look at it as uh, one of those made for TV things, you know, all right, so we gave you all these things. How much is it going to cost? And um, no, no, we, you know, you know we, we have to give you more for uh, that price. Um, so the other thing that they decided to throw in, um, really interesting, um, was a workflow engine. Um, so there's this thing called Logic Apps. Um, so this is totally brand new. And it's meant to um, help uh, developers and consumers of the platform um, automate uh, workflows and business processes. So, um, so one of the examples that they called out in this announcement was they said, okay, what if you want to have a workflow that automatically runs every single time um, your app saves something within a database? So now you can do that. You can have a workflow that sits and watches your database and it actually goes and kicks off a trigger. So this is, you know, but this workflow can go out and it can call other apps. Um, and it also ties into all these connectors. So um, they have a declarative syntax for putting these things together. So you can use um, our good friend JSON to, to build these things out. Or they actually built a, um, like a, a logic slash workflow designer. Um, into the new Azure portal. Um, so you, you can do all sorts of things with it, right? You can have it, um, you can have it watch for changes someplace. You can have these things um, run on timers and then you can have them reach out um, automatically through this GUI interface and uh, hit um, all these other connected things that we had for um, our API apps, right? So now I can build a workflow in the browser so I go ahead and I whip up my MVC website 
and I deploy a .NET Web API on the back end, and I store my data in SQL Azure, and all that stuff's up and running. And then I go ahead and maybe I do, um, you know, let's say it does like forms processing or something, right? Like it just needs to make PDFs. So now you can just have this web job that sits there and goes ahead and, and it can call other APIs and reach out and maybe generate that PDF and pass it back to the workflow. And then uh, your workflow can actually just connect up to um, Office 365 or Box or whatever and go ahead and dump things out there um, so that they can sit for later. So I think like this stuff is going to be really popular. Uh, it, it certainly uh, seems like they're going to give it a good push. So they said it's out. It's in the preview portal today. It's already there. So you can go ahead and um, go ahead and create all these things just the way you need to. So you can start rolling out web apps, which are really just websites. You can roll out mobile apps, which used to be um, mobile services. But hey, you might as well roll those into the same thing if you're doing new ones today. Um, and then these two brand new things of uh, the API apps and the logic apps. Um, and then you've still got all the other services. Like they didn't take anything away, right? They said, we've got API apps, but this doesn't preclude anybody from still going out and running something like um, Azure uh, API management or uh, leveraging some of the other mobile stuff like notification hubs and uh, things like that. Yeah, I guess I'm more curious, uh, more along the lines of what this means to everybody that's invested a lot of time and money into building websites and whether or not that means they just have to figure out, you know, is there anything they have to do to transition it to like a web app or is there some uh, voodoo magic that Scott Goo and the guys will do on the back end where they'll take off the red shirt and they'll put on like a maroon shirt and then things magically happen or if it's just going to be kind of a deprecated thing where eventually they'll be phased out. Uh, I'm curious. I don't know what they'll end up doing, but definitely a lot of stuff that you uh, just kind of ran through that was quite a bit to chew on. Um, so if you haven't had a chance to watch the video, uh, if you wander over to the show notes at pub.brewery.fm slash brewery, Zero zero eight. Uh, you can see the show notes. We've got a link back to the Scott Goo uh, article that has a lovely uh, link to a video that kind of goes through the entire event. So yep. So so yeah. So so for your thing there, your concern, um, you don't actually have to do anything. So so as part of this announcement, um, because there it seems like they're actually building everything. Uh, into the existing websites platform and then kind of extending from there. If you're on a website today, so if you already had deployments in uh, Azure websites and you were doing CI or web jobs or anything else, um, it's basically just a rebrand, right? So you're going to see this new section called web apps and not websites anymore. You're going to go in and there's all your websites. They've just been rebranded. So everything, um, you know, Microsoft has said that stuff's going to continue to run um, exactly as it ran before. Um, but now you have the ability of saying, okay, it's running and we didn't change anything. It's really just a new name. Um, but the nice thing is automatically today, you've, you've got the ability to go ahead um, and go ahead and say, I want to do this uh, mobile logic and um, app API stuff or uh, API app stuff on top of it um, and build it in there. Um, and the nice thing is because it's all one offering now, that's really like all the pricing's been consolidated too, right? So, you know, one of the other concerns would be, oh, great, email this new stuff. How much 
how much is it going to cost me? Um, it's really the same solution you had as you had before. So if you were already, um, you know, in like a standard instance in websites and you can continue to use that and deploy your new services into that same instance, you're not going to be charged any more money. That's, you're going to continue to pay what you were paying before because um, they're basically, everything that got rolled in there is adopting the website's pricing, at least for now. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the, the pricing as it was for websites was a little confusing to begin with, so I'm sure this will make it all the easier, right? Yeah, yeah, someday. Someday it'll all be easy. Um, so a little bit of other stuff on the Azure front. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, Microsoft SharePoint, you're familiar with the Software Boundaries and Limits page that you can go to and see all the goodness about you know, how many site collections you can have in a web app, how many... Uh, sites you can have in a site collection, how many documents you can have in a site collection or in a document library, yada, 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 yeah, all that goodness. Um, I, I did not know this article existed, and apparently it has existed for a while, and I guess I just never found it. Uh, but the Azure Subscription Service Limits is out there, and it's pretty friendly. So things like you know the number of uh, IOPS you can get out of a storage account, the number of storage accounts you can have associated with a subscription, um, pretty cool stuff. So if you're not familiar with it, check it out. Um, if you are familiar with it, good on you. Uh, hopefully for those of us that are doing more and more work in the Azure world, uh, you know, architecting solutions and whatnot, uh, we can hopefully follow this and have a better idea of what those limits and constraints are before uh, someone calls us up and says, why the heck is it I'm getting throttled? you can easily say, oh, well, it's because you're requiring or you're requesting way too many IOPS for the storage account that your VM happens to be sitting inside of. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, this will fall into, uh, this has been out there for a while. Um, we've been including um, subsets of this in documentation for clients and things like that for a long time, um, especially as we work with new clients and say, hey, let's adopt the cloud, but, oh, by the way, here's the things that we have to watch out for. Here's... Um, default limits and max limits and things like that. So uh, you got to make fun of me for not knowing about the cloud platform roadmap. So now I get to make fun of you for not knowing about this one. Um, the one thing I would throw out there and, and mention is, so uh, when folks go out and check this article out, uh, there's really, most things are structured um, with, uh, they call them default limits and then maximum limits. So a lot of things uh, deploy automatically where the default limit is the max and that's it. So within the subscription, like we can only have, you know, 25 web roles per deployment. Like that's it, it's the default limit and it's the maximum limit. Um, but for some other things like, uh, you know, I mentioned this earlier when we we're talking about the Azure Global Bootcamp stuff, the core um, thing. So when you spin up a new subscription, you get 20 cores. If you know that you need 100 cores right off the bat or whatever else you're gonna be doing, because uh, hopefully we did some planning and we figured some things out because we wanted to know how much money we were going to have to spend and all those other fun things. Um, you can actually just go and uh, generate service requests and say, uh, I need to up a subscription limit. So there's, um, uh, there's actually a specific set of uh, service requests that can go in um, from one of the administrators of your Azure account to say, hey, I need more cores. Um, you know, I need... Uh, more cloud services, I need more VNets, whatever um, whatever that might be. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, we, we go through this with clients, is sometimes they get concerned because they see there's certain portions of 
Azure that require paid support. And then there's other things that kind of like billing support's usually free. Um, so even though this is technical support because it's really just raising the limit up, um, all those requests are free as well. So yeah, you know, you don't want to go hog wild with it. They might ask you for some justification. Um, I know they they very often do this with core requests where um, we'll go in either in our own subscriptions or be on, on behalf of clients and say, uh, you know, we need to up to 2,000 cores or 3,000 cores, something like that. And th they'll come back and say, okay, well, what are you actually planning on running? Um, they're also going to want to know things uh, typically, depending on what you're asking for an increase in, of what region you're going to run it in. So if you're running all of your workloads in um, US East or US East 2 for Azure, um, that's really, they're, they're, they're going to up the limit there for you first, so you can do it on day one. Um, but you might want to make sure that that's not going to have any downstream impacts on, say, doing like a regional failover, right? If they gave you 10,000 cores uh, in US East, yeah, you're going to want to make sure that um, you just kind of explicitly spell out to them that, hey, uh, you know, we might be doing a failover or something someday, and we might need those uh, additional cores over in US West uh, as well. Um, just so they can make sure that everything's carved out on the back end the way it needs to be. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> the whole uh, carving out, the whole request of things. I know, at least for me, uh, typically when I'm making those requests for additional cores, it's because you know I'm actually scaling out the original POC that I was working on into something bigger and more grandiose. Um, typically, those uh, those service requests are. I won't say the fastest, but they're typically quicker than anything else that I've seen. So I think I remember a year or two ago, you mentioned when we were walking out of uh, Cap Area's user group, I guess it was about two years ago, that uh, you know getting that request was painful and that it took multiple days. So the last time I had a request core increase was when I was down at SP Live uh, last November to go from 20 up to 40, and I think it took all of about 30 minutes. So that was pretty, pretty sweet. Yeah, that seems to be the run rate these days. Um, the big things with some of those increases, so, um, you know, compute costs a bunch of money. Uh, so typically, if you want those requests to be actioned the quickest, uh, it's really a good idea to have a, um, a billing administrator or whoever actually created the subscription whose credit card it's tied to have them submit that request because if the support folks have any questions, it's going to be for the person whose credit card is attached to that. So for things like our MSDN accounts and everything, it's it's pretty easy to get those upped in um, because you know th those are already tied to us and we're the individuals. But if you're going out and working with an organization or you are within an organization that has a bunch of administrators and other things, sometimes it can help to grease the wheels a little bit and have the right person submit that request. Um, the, the other thing you want to make sure is, uh, I've been bitten by this a couple of times, um, whoever that is, whoever puts that request in before they do it, um, there's actually a section in your profile within Azure um, that you have to go edit over in the billing portal um, uh, where there's a field for your company name. If you leave your company name blank for some reason, um, support guys, like it's like 50-50, they can't figure out what to do with your request. Um, so you can just go put a company name in there. You can even put like not applicable or n slash a or something like that. As long as that field has something in it, it can help move those things along, right? So that, that, that would be my pro tip on, on moving those things up. Does that uh, does it help out with the infamous, sorry, I cannot uh, 
verify your mobile phone number in the Create Azure free trial subscription? No, nothing can help with that. <laughs> Dang it. I mean, that's all the same logic, right? That one in the, uh, uh, the Office 365 one. I, I get bit all the time where I go and try and create those subscriptions. And I always, uh, you know, I'll create like a new trial tenancy for Office 365 and I'll say, all right, I want to go use my Azure AD. And there's this new workflow where you can come in and you don't have to put a credit card in if you're coming from a paid subscription. But if you're coming from a trial tenancy, like if I'm coming from like one of my, like my partner demo sites, um, those are all E3 trials. So it'll say, oh, I need a credit card. So, you know, uh, stupid Scott, I'll sit there and I'll put in all my Australian details um, and the form is broken up into a couple of different sections. So I'll put in my contact information. I'll go ahead and verify my phone number, which is my Australian mobile and, and do all that. And then it'll get to the credit card part and it'll say, put in your credit card. And I'll go, all right, let me just put in my US credit card now. And it won't let me do it because it's already locked my region and everything down to Australia. And then even if you leave that form and come back later, it still sits in that state. So um, there's a little bit of thinking ahead with some of the stuff and uh, you can kind of get caught in these um, weird loops when you get into the, the backend billing side of things. Um, but like you said, it really has been cleaned up a bunch. Stuff's actioned um, far quicker than it ever has been in the past, um, especially as the platform grows up and, and everybody starts to find their way through it. Yeah, no, uh, it's cool to actually see it taking shape. Uh, so I know we've been kind of droning on, going a little long. Um, wanted to close out with two things. Um, the first, for those of you in the U.S. that are uh, looking at using Azure Government, as it is called, you now have Media Services. Booyah! So, uh, if you're not familiar with Media Services, then shame on you for living under a rock. Um, basically, if you've watched any of the Olympics in the past couple of years, watched the Super Bowl, watched, uh, I want to say, what, World Cup. Um, you've seen mobile services, not mobile services, media services in action. So it's coming to Azure government, apparently. Um, care of a friendly blog article, uh, not the Dear Azure blog, rest its soul, uh, but the actual Azure Microsoft blog uh, about a week ago, right before St. Patty's Day, they announced it. So pretty cool stuff. Hopefully we'll continue to see different services light up over time. Uh, the other one that uh, at least I was hoping we could, you know, kind of mention is Alibaba. Um, this was news to me, but the fact that it's expanding its cloud services to come to the U.S. to give, kind of funny, they just say Amazon, but Azure, Rackspace, everybody else, competition. Um, uh, <laughs> if you're not familiar with Alibaba, uh, it is a it's the equivalent, I guess, of what Amazon over in China, and they've got services all over the place. And depending on which uh, which tech podcast you listen to, you'll hear about Alibaba and its you know creator and its owner, CEO, some of the different things he does, like singing uh, one of the songs from what is it, The Lion King, to open up their corporate meeting. Um, so you know, different. Uh, different company, but it's interesting to see them actually start to muscle their way into the U.S. Um, hopefully, I don't know, is there anything like that in Australia that's going to come back with you? No, uh, no. Uh, people are coming, like, you know, Microsoft and things are bringing services here, but there's nothing of that scale. I mean, Alibaba is a huge, huge company, so they IPO'd last year. Um, they're, like, 
like you said, they're massive. They're 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 but they're a lot more than Amazon. They're they're like Amazon and Yahoo and Google and a couple of other, uh, yeah, and a couple of other companies rolled into one. Um, and they're also they they started in China, so they're very big in that market. And China is um, absolutely huge, right? So when you look at other cloud providers trying to get in there. So if you look at Amazon or um, I'm not too familiar with their stuff in the China region, but even like Microsoft's Azure offering is through another company. Um, it's through uh, Vianet. Um, I, I believe it's Vianet um, up in China. Uh, so, you know, everything's kind of like firewalled off and segmented out. So it's very hard for um, these other companies to uh, establish services there. And then, you know, based on trade restrictions and everything else, how do they get the money out? What do they do with the money? Do they try and repatriate it to their home country? So if it's like Microsoft, you know, how do they get that money back to the U.S. and things like that? Um, so for them, it's very hard to break in and, and, and it's this huge market. Um, and then all of a sudden, you've got basically the biggest player in that market, which everybody else wants to get into, um, saying, hey, guess what? We're so big here that we're going to come out and go to the other side. Um, and they're being pretty strategic about it too, right? They're building a data center and they're saying, okay, we're going to offer all our same services, which they offer internally, which is kind of the same as the other platforms, right? We've got um, some IaaS stuff and some PaaS stuff, um, quite a bit around like VMs and things like that. Um, but they're going to be strategic and market it to Chinese companies that are trying to set up business in the U.S. So they can pull um, companies that are probably already using their services in China and now they can say, hey, let's go over to the U.S. and continue to leverage the same services and platforms and everything else that you've been um, building out. So uh, definitely something to watch and, and keep an eye on. Um, you know, I don't think everybody's going to go one day and say, OK, let's give up on Azure, AWS or things like that. Um, but I could certainly see it uh, with the resources they have. They'll become a far bigger player than somebody like Rackspace, right? And, and be able to push those things around. Um, just because they have the resources to put into it. There's not many companies that can go out and say, hey, I'm going to build a new data center from scratch and, and put all this effort and money into it. Um, and then I want to do that in a couple of different places. But Alibaba is definitely one of those companies that can. Yeah, so it's a... Uh, uh, do you speak uh, Mandarin Chinese by chance? Not a lick. Yeah, so if you go to aliyun.com... That is Alibaba's cloud services, and it is not written in English one bit. does not have any sort of, hey, you want to change languages? So there are some shapes. They look familiar. I can kind of figure out what they probably mean. But, yeah, that'll be interesting to see them uh, coming into the U.S. and, you know, what they potentially could provide for that our friends Azure, AWS, Rackspace, et cetera, et cetera, aren't able to provide. Yeah, I mean, so doing a real-time translate, so it's cloud server, right? So VMs, um, it's load balancing and traffic management. Um, they have cloud databases, RDS cloud databases, uh, open storage services. Um, and then one of the other interesting things they offer is uh, they have the thing called, uh, and it's written about in the article we'll link to in the show notes, uh, they have a thing called Cloud Shield, um, which is like an anti-denial-of-service um, layer that you can add in front of things. Um, kind of like, kind of like a, a, a Cloudflare or something like that, um, but it's all built into this one platform. And like, like I said, I mean, they've got pretty much all the major players in China already um, host with them and do things with them. Like they've got a pretty impressive uh, customer list. So 
as those customers look to grow outside of China, they can just say, hey, uh, let's keep going with the same platform we've already um, been on. Uh, you know, it could be one of those kind of subversive uh, kind of things uh, that Microsoft and Amazon might have to watch out for. Yeah, it's it's kind of actually funny if you scroll down and do that real-time translate uh, under sharing and tutorials. There's a link for 319, tired of Azure, migration of the cloud every minute to get Ollie. Sounds about right. Yeah, interesting stuff. So, uh, I don't know, you got anything else for us? I think that's about it. Let's go ahead and uh, button this one up. Sounds good, man. All right, Dan, talk to you later. Cheers.